0: Almighty God, you are the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the victorious sovereign over all your creation. You are worthy of all praise and worship and exaltation this morning and forevermore. We confess our attempts to be sovereign for ourselves. We confess our exaggerated abilities and our presumptuous pride. Lord, we confess this morning that we are not able and that you and you alone are all powerful, all knowing and everywhere present. Thank you, Lord. Thank you and grant us this morning a faith to trust in you in times of struggle, and in times of hardship. Grant us grace that we might be sustained and encouraged along our way to your kingdom. Lord, thank you for giving us your word, giving us these examples of saints of old in your scriptures. And thank you for giving us one another, that we might establish and build up one another in our faith. For indeed, in these ways, you are a good God. You have delivered your people in the past. And you have sustained your people through suffering. Would that you accomplish this kind of confident faith in us this morning. That we may find our great rest and comfort and hope in Jesus Christ and Him crucified. For it is in His name we pray all of these things. Amen. Amen. Several weeks ago, we started Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 states, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the confidence of things not seen. That description of faith was given to us several weeks ago. And through the chapter, chapter 11, the pastor of this congregation of Hebrews was seeking to demonstrate how the saints of old leaned upon their faith. They were faithful men and women who walked this path in the Old Testament, and they were sustained and kept. They were triumphant and persevered. They were ones who endured. How? By faith. And we see that phrase, by faith, over and over again. Many of you have heard me say, as we have talked on the phone or even one-on-one, and you've communicated to me uh, very difficult providences in your life, things that you're struggling with, things that you're seeking to be faithful on or be wise concerning. And I've made the comment to you on occasion that this is for our faith or that this is for your faith. And I've encouraged you to, to to, um, to try to consider what God's trying to teach you or help you with. See, this morning this congregation, specifically this congregation in this book, in the book of Hebrews, was going through a very, very difficult time. They were losing some of their possessions. Their homes were being taken. They were going and visiting their friends and other saints in prison. And as they were, their possessions were being taken. And it was very, very difficult for them. And the question they asked is the question that we may be asking this morning, and it is this. Is it worth it? Is the struggle and difficulty... Is the things that I'm having to give worth this faith that I'm having to demonstrate, that I'm having to trust in? Is Jesus Christ and the gospel worth the price that I'm having to pay in order to stand for my faith? It's the question this congregation was asking as this pastor was trying to encourage them that the answer is, in fact, yes. And the way he does it is he shows the saints of old, and he says, By faith they stood. They persevered, they triumphed, they endured, and their faith, yes, indeed, it was worth it. That they laid down their lives, they struggled, they suffered, they conquered, they triumphed. How? By faith. And yes, indeed, it was worth it. And so this morning, my prayer is that as we work through the rest of chapter 11, my prayer is that we too will be looking at these Old Testament saints, and as we look at them, we'll begin answering the question over and over again, how did they do this? The answer will be they did it through faith. And is it worth it if I have to make this stand? If I have to make these sacrifices, would it be worth it for me to do this? And the answer that the pastor is seeking to communicate, and I believe the Word of God is trying to communicate to us this morning, is yes, indeed, it is worth it. That our faith is worth it. For it is all about our faith. Well, let us look this morning specifically at verses 32 through 40, through the rest of this chapter. And I want us to divide it into two particular points, two particular areas, two headings that I would like for us to consider. Heading number one, Delivered Through Faith. Heading number one, Delivered Through Faith. This is verses 32 through 35. And then point number two, Suffered Through Faith. Suffered Through Faith. And this is the verse 35 through 38. And so 35 is split in half for us. The first part goes with the first point. The second part of verse 35 goes to the second point. So delivered through faith, verses 32 through 35. Suffered through faith, verses 35 through 38. And then 39 and 40 will be our conclusion this morning as we uh, sum everything up and bring it together. Let us look first at our first heading, and that is delivered through faith. And what we see here in verse 32 is that the pastor has been going along, and as we talked before, this book, all of Hebrews, is actually a sermon. And uh, he's in chapter 11, which they didn't have chapter numbers. He wasn't announcing chapters. But he had gone, he's gone now for 11 chapters as we see it in our Bibles. And he's saying, okay, I need to wrap up here because it's getting long. Okay, and, uh, and he says in verse 32, he says, And what more shall I say? In other words, he's saying, I've been talking about all these men and women of faith throughout the Scriptures. And he's, come, he's brought us up to the book of Judges, or excuse me, Joshua. But through the book of Joshua where we see Rahab in verse 31. In verse 32, he says, And what more shall I say? For time will fail me. And then he gives us a list of Old Testament saints, specifically from the book of Judges starting out. Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jatheth. And then he mentions a king of David and a prophet and Samuel. And then he mentions the prophets in a whole category together and the prophets. We have here a listing of men. Now, the, the pastor that was preaching this sermon didn't feel it necessary to go through all the details of each and every one of those, so why should I thwart that desire of his? There's no need for me to go through and describe each and every one of these, but I do want to just mention key, key notes about these particular characters so that they will be keyed in your own mind, because you may not quite be sure about some of these, specifically these judges that are in our, in our Bible here. First Barak, I want us to notice, excuse me, first Gideon, first Gideon. Gideon is in judges chapter 6 through eight I'd encourage you to go back and to read about these these stories about these particular judges. It's amazing to see how God worked here. He's mentioning these men as examples of faith, mind you. Gideon he says um, was a man of faith He says there's no need for me to mention the fact that he was a man who defeated a, a lot of Midianites and how did he do it in that great battle that we know him for? Well he did it with torches and jars and trumpets. In fact God had his men, And then he said, "Um, I need to whittle your men down. And he took them to the river and they lapped water. And 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 God whittled them down to 300 men. 300 Israelites against 350,000 of the Midianites. And God conquered that day with the torches and jars and trumpets in hand. Notice no weapons. Gideon was known for that great battle. And the Lord triumphed in that. How did he do it? Through faith. Gideon was a man of faith. Barak is in Jude, Jude, uh, excuse me, judges verse chapters four and five, judges chapters four and five. And Barak was a great military commander who overcame an army of 900 chariots. So if there's 900 chariots, there's a lot more men and foot soldiers. But he became a, a military commander who had a great battle and overcame and had victory over 900 chariots, and he won that. Samson, many of us know. this is in judges chapters 13 through 16. Samson was a Nazarite. He was a man who was supposed to keep himself pure and clean. He avoided a lot of that. We know that that story is kind of it's amazing to read if you read it in its entirety. There's more to it than what we heard in Sunday school, I promise you. You may want to read it. Um, but he was a great arch enemy of the Philistines. He had many battles with the Philistines and killed many, many Philistines. And God had given him over to being one who was a very strong man who battled and killed many, many Philistines. Um, Jephthah, Judges 11, overthrew the Amorites in a great battle in the book of Judges. During a crucial time for Israel, when they were getting ready to lose it all, Jethro rose up in Judges 11 and, um, and, and battled and won in that particular victory. We know of David, who is considered the king of Israel, the mighty king warrior. We know of specifically his battle with Goliath, one of many, where he uh, remained faithful and became victorious. And then Samuel was the great prophet of prophets, really. He was the one who basically inaugurated or, or, uh, or, or, or had both Saul and David were the first two kings of Israel. He's the one to usher them into their authority and their king there. And so Samuel was a great prophet in that way. And then we, he says he, he's, then he speaks of all the prophets going through the rest of the Old Testament, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Amos, Malachi, Hosea, just to name a few. He's mentioning these prophets and saying all of these were men and women of faith. They were examples of faith. They exampled their faith in all of their uh, dealings and all of their ways of going about this. Now, note this, that I grew up, the growing up I did in church, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church that had Sunday school classes and even sermons preached on Sunday morning that looked at these men and said, we need to be like them. And then I started reading the stories of these men and I was thinking, that can't be the that can't be the same guy that my pastor and my Sunday school teacher told me I needed to be like. Have you read the story of Samson? It doesn't seem to make sense. And the problem is, is that so often what we do with the Old Testament is we raise up these figures as examples of faith for us to mimic. And these men were men of faith. They, were, they, they, did, they did example faith in particular periods of their life. But we also know that Gideon actually had the people of Israel to gather up earrings and melt them down and make a golden idol. So he and all of Israel began bowing to this golden idol after that great battle that we know of. We know that Barak is pretty much not known. You know why? Because everybody knows Deborah, who was the one that basically said, get off your couch and go into battle, and God will give you the victory. And she was the one that was prompting him because he was lazy about going out and doing what he needed to do. If it wasn't for Deborah prompting Barak to go and do what he needed to do, he would have never had the battle. He was one who was not um, an instigator, not one who was active, but very, very passive. Samson himself was a womanizer. Japheth, though he went into battle and he had a great victory, we all know, many of us remember when I was preaching through the book of Judges. In fact, if you'd like to get those, those are online, the sermons that I did through the book of Judges. It has all of these characters in it. But many of you remember Japheth. Great battle. He returns home and his daughter greets him at the door. And he ends up having to sacrifice his daughter at the return of the battle. And she's the one that they cut into many pieces and sent throughout the land. I mean, these aren't, these aren't the respectable kind of white sins that so many people think of. These men were men who sinned grievously. And yet they're noted in our passage in our Bible here in Hebrews chapter 11. They're noted also as men of faith. I think we should take great encouragement in that. Is that faithful people aren't perfect people. Faithful people doesn't mean that you every step of the way you have to be faithful. Now, we don't make excuse for sin. But isn't it interesting that God uses broken people? He used a Barak. He used um, a Japheth. He used a Samson. He used a David. And he uses you and I. And he wants us to be men and women of faith. That doesn't mean we're perfect. But it means that their lives were not marked totally. In the case of David, committed adultery and then murdered the, the, the husband of the wife, right? But his life was marked by faith, though that was a part of his life that wasn't faithful. Brothers and sisters, would it be that we ourselves would be people, though we are sinners, though we, we aren't perfect, that our lives would be marked with, by faith as these men. Our lives would be marked most predominantly by the walk of faith that we have and not by the particular sins that are there. Know that they these people are going to be staying throughout history with these sins, these struggles, these things that they dealt with. But at the end of the day, they're considered men of faith. And we're thankful for that. Now, I want us to see here, as we move from these examples into some of these victories, I want us to notice in verse 33 that this took place through faith. Through faith. Chris, can you turn the air on, please? Thank you, sir. I want us to notice these victories. I want us to notice that these victories here that is being spoken of in verse 33... There there are nine of these victories, and I'm going to separate them into three categories. Okay, So three categories of three. Three categories of three in these victories. The first category is political victories. I want you to see in verse 33, at the very beginning, some of these political victories. They did all these things through faith, as it says in verse 33, who through faith, here are the three political victories. They conquered kingdoms. They enforced justice. They obtained promises. What we see here is that not so much that the the idea here isn't so much of what exactly took place, but that what took place wasn't in the ability or strength of these people. We don't have names here. We know that, for example, Barak and Samson and David, all of these could be connected in some way to conquering the kingdoms or enforcing justice. But we don't have names specifically tied to these three um, victories Conquering kingdoms means that God, through his ability, was able to overcome the kingdoms and the nations and the powers of that day through these weak individuals. How did he do it? Through faith. How did he enforce justice? How did God do that? He did it through broken individuals, through his saints of old. How did he how did he work through these people? He gave them he says, obtain promises here. It doesn't mean that they obtained the eternal promise that they they saw because the the promises, the ultimate promise of them um, um, coming into the presence of the God himself wasn't something that was obtained. But instead, along the way, the Lord promised them that they would give them uh, the land or he promised him that he would give him Goliath. And the Lord fulfilled those promises and was faithful to the promises he had given to his people. These small promises were means of encouragement to them as they began seeing God answer prayer over and over again and be faithful to his promises. So in this way, God was faithful in these political victories. Are we sure that God can accomplish great and mighty things through um, in the midst of these incredible powers that be, the politics and the nations and the countries and the cultures? God here, through faith, was amazing in conquering kingdoms, enforcing justice, and obtaining, obtaining promises. This second category I want us to see are personal victories. Personal victories. <clears throat> Notice with me at the end of verse 33. Stop the mouths of lions. Quench, verse 34, quench the power of fire. Escape the edge of the sword. This is the second category, and it's personal victories. Notice the lion, the fire, and the sword are the three personal dangers that were coming at God's people. Most people want to connect, stop the mouths of lions with who? Daniel, right? Who was thrown into the lion's den. Most people want then, as we look at Daniel and specifically the lions, then stop the mouths of lions, then quenching the power, the 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 power of fire to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who are thrown into the fiery furnace, which we had read this morning by Brandon. Most people connect that particular scene, and as. The pastor here was reading through these. He was, simply, he was simply saying these these images, these understandings of the Old Testament saints were popping in their mind. Of Yes, that was this person. Yes, that was this person. Or this could have been any one of these um, prophets or saints of old. And as the pastor was mentioning, he said they stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the power of, Satan, of, of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. Escaping the edge of the sword could have been very easily David's escape from Saul. Remember Saul wanted to kill him and it wasn't necessarily a sword. Remember, it was a javelin. He kept trying to pin David to the wall and kill him. We know that it could have been Elijah escaping from the hands of Jezebel, because Jezebel sought to kill him with a sword. And in, in uh, fir- First Kings chapter nineteen, it could have been Jeremiah escaping from Jehoiakim in Jeremiah twenty-six. This escaping from the sword. The question here isn't so much of what happened, but the fact that God did it how through these men who were faithful. Who were faithful. So through faith, God conquered kingdoms, escaped, enforced justice, attained promises, political victories, personal victories. God was able to stop the mouths of lions, quench the power of fire, escape the edge of the sword. How? Through faith. God worked in God's people to bring these victories, specifically these personal victories from fire, lions, and the edge of the sword. Third category, emotional victories. We see this in verse 34. In verse 34, these emotional victories, it says, they were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. This idea of strength here was not just physical strength of making strong in the the midst of weakness, but also emotional strength. God gave his people courage when all things looked as if it was going away. As if all things were were bad and going south quickly, God gave his people strength in the midst of their weaknesses. Now, we know that specifically as we consider this. We consider Samson in his day, at the end of his life, he was made weak, wasn't he? He was humbled by the Philistines. His hair was cut. And what happened as soon as his hair was cut? As we read the story, his eyes were put out and he was humiliated for, for months and months and months. At the end of his life in Judges sixteen it says, Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me, and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may avenge on the Philistines for be that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grabbed, grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other, and Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all of his strength, and the house fell, on, fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom, the, whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he killed during his life. And how did the Lord do it? Among a Samson who was in, indeed humbled. Still his eyes were put out, and the Lord gave him strength in the midst of his weakness. We know that these mighty wars and these putting foreign armies to flight, we know that the Old Testament chronicles God's victory for his people over the Egyptians, over the Philistines, over the Amorites, over the Hittites, over the Assyrians, over the Babylonians. God's people during this age, when the pastor was preaching this sermon to them, when they heard these words, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, any number of those could have been coming to mind for them as they were considering how God in a mighty way worked to overcome these foreign armies and putting them to flight. Was it the strength and the ability of God's people? Was it due to their ingenuity and cunning? According to our passage, it was not. It was due to their faith. They trusted the Lord and His promises. They went forward and did what God called them to do. And God gave them victory. Now, those are the three categories of three, different, of three different victories. But what we see here in verse 35, if you'll notice, is one final victory at the very beginning of verse 35. And it's really set apart from all the others. Why? Because this victory was a final victory. This victory was more amazing than all the others, and it's this. In verse 35, the very beginning part of the verse 35, it says this, women received back their dead by resurrection. Now this can mean at least two people in the Bible that we know of, Elijah and Elisha. Elijah brought back or raised the son of the poor widow in 1 Kings 17, and Elisha raised the son of the Shumanite woman in 2 Kings chapter 4. Now, most of us do not think of the resuscitation as resurrection, do we? We don't think of resuscitation bringing back to life as being a resurrection. But here, this pastor, as he's writing this book, and here in the book of Hebrews, verse 35, he mentions this word resurrection, and he associates it with this resuscitation, I believe, because of how he's going to connect it to the second half of this verse. So he says, God was able to bring back these dead children to these wives, who desperately wanted them, and God did it through his prophets. How did he do it? How did he bring them back? Was it because of um, their ingenuity or their desire to have their children back? Was it because of anything that they did or their abilities or power? Not at all. It was through faith that God brought these children back to these wives. My question to you this morning is this, and I believe it's the point that the pastor here is trying to make. Can God triumph in victory over amazing power and authority like kingdoms and nations today? For the Hebrews of this day, in our passage that we're looking at here in the book of Hebrews, the question might have been, is God able to overcome the assault of the mighty Roman Empire to help us be a people again that know our God and able to serve him? Today, our question may be similar. It may be, is God able to conquer and bring about justice in our nation called America? Can God overthrow and and work through his people to accomplish what he desires to accomplish in this nation called America that seems to be going more and more away from God and the things of God? Can God do that through us? Brothers and sisters, only through faith. Only through faith will we be sustained Will we continue. Sometimes I think by our actions, and honestly this is where where I am as well, if you looked at me, sometimes you would assume that the way God's going to do it is through my complaining and griping about what's going on in America because that's all I seem to do. Instead, we need to be people who are people of prayer, that, know, know, that knows that God is in, has done this over and over again. The Egyptians, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, God has thwarted nations and their desire, and His church has remained strong. His people have remained steady in the midst of incredible conflict. How do they do it? Through faith. Can God triumph in victory over our personal attacks on our lives and livelihoods? Can God stop the mouths of attackers, quench the efforts of those who seek to do you harm and your family harm? I was typing my sermon on Friday. And Friday mornings, I typically shut out my calendar. I usually turn off the internet so that I can have uninterrupted time so that I can write the sermon without any interruption. I was sitting in my home, and I was typing from about, I guess, 8 o'clock until about 1 o'clock when Ashley shows up at home. She comes in, and she says, did you hear about what happened in Connecticut? I said, no, I've been typing my sermon. I have no idea what's taking place. And as I was writing this sermon during that very time when this tragedy happened in Connecticut, I wrote this. Now, we do not, may not feel like we have been under attack or that this text describes anything like what we understand. See, I didn't know we lived in a world where our babies got killed. But we do, and we always have. Our security, brothers and sisters, is false. Our safety and our hope, if it's in anything like the government and its agencies, that's a false hope. We need to know that as God's people, the way we're going to be sustained during difficult days, whether it be through helping and looking at these families in Connecticut and wanting to love them well and even speaking truth in our community as we consider that, brothers and sisters, we're only going to do it through faith. We're only going to do it through faith. Now the question is, is these particular Hebrew people in this particular passage, they had not yet begun shedding their blood for their faith. We know that from Hebrews chapter 11, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4. It says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Why then is this pastor in verse 35 of chapter 11 telling them about this resurrection? He's encouraging them to be ready for the day will come. We know that this book was written around 50 and that around 60 and 70. The torture and the difficulty and the struggle began happening among Christians in this this day and age. And God's people were being killed by by the masses. This pastor was encouraging them, how do you stand? Well, you stand through faith. You stand through faith. Finally, can God give us strength? Can God give us strength to overcome, to give us strength in our weaknesses, to help us with our feebleness and our fears? Can God help us have the might and courage to face armies and foreign foes only if we have faith? Brothers and sisters, it is what God has called us to. God is very able to accomplish these victories in our lives. We need not assume that he's not. We so often feel that because there are such tragedies in our lives and difficulties in our lives, we pray fervently and it seems that our prayers are not being heard, but somehow God is not able this morning, I want you to see from our passage that God's able to conquer kingdoms, enforce justice, obtain promises, stop the mouths of lions, quench the power of fire, escape the edge of the sword. were strong in weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign uh, uh, armies to flight, made women receive back their dead from resurrection. God is able. God is able. He's done it before and he can do it again. That is the truth that I want you to see in verses 32 through 35. However, verse 35 creates a hinge for us. And it goes into our second point that I want you to see, our second heading. And that is that God's people also suffered through faith. You see, they were delivered by faith or through faith, but they also suffered through faith. You see, this is a hinge, I believe, because it says women receive back their dead by resurrection. Do you see that? The second sentence in verse 35 says, Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. We transitioned here in verse 35, a very important transition from victories to suffering. Notice this particular suffering here that we see in this passage in verse 35. It says they were tortured. They were tortured. It is interesting. Let me make sure I have my... Yes, it says here they were that some, not all, but some were tortured, refusing to accept release. This word for torture doesn't occur anywhere else in the New Testament. We have to look in extra biblical literature to find out what it means, and it's basically the idea of someone taking a skin and stretching it over a drum shell. And they said it was typical, specifically during the uh, intertestamental period between the Old Testament and the New Testament where God's people would be stretched over a rack like a skin on a drum shell, and they would be spun in a circle with men standing around that circle um, beating the person to death. That's the particular word that's being used here for torture. It's interesting because it doesn't stop there. It doesn't say some were tortured, but it says that some were tortured, and it goes on, they refused to accept release. It's amazing here. The faith that is that is being demonstrated. This volitional suffering. Did you hear me? This volitional suffering. They were given the option to deny Christ. To deny their God. To deny their faith. To walk away from it. To, to be willing to say, if you, if you reject your God and your faith, then we will not torture you. They were given that option. And when they were given that option, it says they refused to accept release. They refused to accept the opportunity to be able to deny their faith and to turn away from God and to be released. But instead, they chose torture. It was a volitional choosing. How in the world could they do that? It says that some were tortured, refusing to accept release. How or why? So that they might rise again to a, listen to this, better life. I'm going to be honest, I don't know if the Lord will grant me grace to stand in such a time. I don't think any of us can say that right now. We don't know what the Lord will give us strength for in the midst of whatever that the Lord may be giving to us. But it says here that they were not looking at the torture. They were not looking at the things of the world. They were not considering even their blessings that they had been given, maybe family and friends and loved ones. You know what they were considering? They were considering the resurrection that they might have to a better life. See, the idea here is this, is that some had been resuscitated in the Old Testament. And this pastor's telling these Christians during this day, there were others who were, there were some who were tortured and they were not, they refused to be released. Why? Because they wanted to have, they wanted to rise again to this, notice this, better life. Some translations say better resurrection. This eternal resurrection. It's interesting because in the book of Hebrews, it speaks of this better resurrection, which has a, according to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34, a better possession and an abiding one. By a better covenant, according to Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6, based on better promises, Hebrews 7, 22, and a better sacrifice, which is Jesus Christ, Hebrews 9, 23, that we may one day go to, listen to this. Chapter 11, verse 16, you can look up at it. Chapter 11, verse 16, that we may go to a better country and a heavenly one. Amen. You see, that's what they were looking to. They were looking to the home, the place where God would have them, where they can be into the presence of God themselves. They were looking for heaven as their hope. And so they were willing to refuse the acceptance of release so that they might rise to a better life and a better resurrection, so that they might not simply be resuscitated. Because see, those boys who Elijah and Elisha brought back to life, what ended up happening to them? They died again. They had to go through that horrible experience again. But this better resurrection, this better life, for brothers and sisters, the book of Hebrews says it's an abiding one. It's one that has a better possession, done by better sacrifice, made on better promises. And it is for us to reach that better country that is a heavenly one. You see, this is volitional. Let me... Let me help you here, because I think we can make a mistake understanding this volitional type of suffering. Sometimes when sermons are preached in that way, and we look at passages like this, and it says some were tortured, refusing to accept release, that they mistake the volitional or the voluntary nature of that suffering with the fact that they were pursuing that suffering. We don't find anywhere in the New Testament that they were pursuing suffering. They didn't go after it. They weren't more mighty and righteous because they went after suffering. The message today isn't, now go and do likewise. You know what the message is today? If you are made to pay that price, brothers and sisters, your faith is worth it. That's the message today. It's not, now go out and try to suffer for Jesus. These people, you know what they were pursuing? They were pursuing that heavenly home. They were pursuing their God. They were pursuing Jesus Christ. They were living according to the promises of God, and they were doing that faithfully. And as they did that, you know what happened? They were caused to suffer. So my prayer for us this morning isn't that we volunteer for suffering whenever it can come down the pipe, or that we go out looking for the opportunity to suffer for Jesus. No. Be faithful, brothers and sisters. Pursue Christ Christ. Go after your God. Live as if this world is passing away and that God is your aim and your your goal and your hope. Live that way. And when and if suffering comes, you'll be able to say that faith is worth it. And so don't mistake the volitional nature of the suffering that we see in verse 35 as pursuing suffering for suffering's sake. That's not the aim here. They were pursuing God and they received suffering. The second thing I want you to see is the suffering wasn't just volitional, but it was also continual. Not only volitional, but it was also continual. Look at verse 36. Continual. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. Do you see here that this passage doesn't say, and others were mocked on occasion and flogged on occasion, and they were thrown in jail for a night or two. It doesn't say that. The verbs actually indicate that this was a continual process. That God's people went through continual suffering and they endured that suffering faithfully. It says that they went through, they suffered mockings and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. And they endured that. They went through that. They were put in prison. They were mocked and flogged. And God sustained them. How did he do it? Through faith. The third category, the third way of suffering I want you to see is in verse 37. Not only was it volitional, not only was it continual, but the third way is it was it was fatal. It was fatal. Verse 37, notice with me, these are all indicators of someone who's being put to death. Most people don't walk away from these things. Verse 37 says, they were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. See, the suffering wasn't just a suffering of endurance like the floggings and the mockings and the thrown in the prisons and being put in chains, but it was a fatal suffering. They went to death, brothers and sisters. These saints of old suffered by being stoned, by being sawn in two. Most actually say, extra-biblical literature says that Isaiah was actually the one who was actually sawn in two, that they came after him. He went and hid in a tree, and the king or whoever the leader found out that he was in the tree— And so they saw the tree in half with him in it. And so most extra-biblical literature says Isaiah was, in fact, the one who most of these people would have thought of when they saw that phrase, sawn in two. And they were killed with the sword. Isn't it interesting? And I think it's here for a reason. Look with me, if you will. Look with me, if you will, at verse 34. Verse 34 quench the power of fire, escape the edge of the sword. Now look with me back again at verse 37. They were stoned, they were sown in two, they were killed with the sword. Here's the point I want us to see here, brothers and sisters. Can God deliver us from the power of the sword? Absolutely. Will God always deliver us from the power of the sword? No. Will God deliver us from cancer? Or can God deliver us from cancer? Yes. Will God deliver everybody from cancer? No. You see, here's the difficulty that I have with specifically the word faith movement. Is that the idea is that um, God wants the best for me. Health and finances and stuff and things. And what God wants for me is everything in this world and that 's what he wants to give to me, and he wants that for me, brothers and sisters that 's a lie. God wants us to be faithful, Amen. our stuff, our health our st- God wants us to die being faithful. He wants to lay down He wants us to lay down our life, not to just live well but to die well. Amen. Our health is a great blessing isn 't it we 're thankful to the lord for for health we 're thankful for, to the Lord for our possessions and our things we 're thankful to the Lord for all that He gives us, but can God provide for you? yes. Will God always give us our provisions? Well, he hasn't. And brothers and sisters, as I've grown in my personal faith, I've learned this. We need to pray diligently that God will give us health, remove sickness and disease, give us provisions, help us have the things that we want to have. We can pray for those things, and we need to be diligent in that. But you and I know that as we're praying for our loved ones to be healed, and today they're not, What do we do? Well, we walk by faith. And we say, Lord, we want want our loved ones to be healed. We want our loved ones to be saved. We want, Lord, protection and provision. But today, Lord, it's not here. I don't have it. So, Lord, today I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be faithful with what I have. And I'm going to be faithful with what I don't have. And I'm going to move forward by faith because some escaped the edge of the sword. And some, according to this passage, were killed by the sword. It is God's world, not ours. And God doesn't want health, wealth, and prosperity for us. He gives those things to us so many times in his blessings. God wants us to be faithful. And if we have those things, thank him for it. If we don't have those things, pray that he'll give them to us. But today, many of you are in the spot right now where, you know what, today he hasn't. And today I'm going to be faithful in the midst of the difficulty and the struggle and the absence of something that I feel like I need. And so this fatal suffering through stoning and being sawn in two and killing by the sword. The next thing I want you to see is the material suffering. These saints of old not only suffered volitionally, not only continually, not only fatally, but also in material in material ways this was a material suffering. Look at verse 37, the rest of the verse there. It says they went about in skins and sheep of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. They were being t- they did not have the comforts of the world. They didn't have the pleasures that everybody else had. And even many even suspected and said, this is what I've have to have in order to live. But it says here that they went around hiding. In sheepskins and goatskins, they were, according to this, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. Notice verse 38. It goes on. It says, wandering about in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves in the earth. Brothers and sisters, that wasn't the home that they had asked for themselves. That was where they ended up. It's interesting because this passage says right in the middle of that. Do you see the parentheses there? It says, of whom the world was not worthy. You see the world... Was making It wasn't that these people were pursuing these things. They weren't trying to be destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. They weren't living in caves because they liked the cave life better than they liked the home life. They were being run out by the world. you know what the world was saying to them? You're not worthy to have the things that we enjoy and have. See, the world wanted those things. The world likes pleasure and comfort and security and and, and all of these wonderful things. And they're saying, you know what? Because you're a man of God, you're a man of faith or a woman of faith, we're going to deny you those things and see if you can last. And they thought they were doing something. They thought they were the ones making the saints suffer and struggle. You know what this pastor says as he's, as he's saying this? He's saying the tables are turned, brothers and sisters. It isn't that the saints were doing without. It was that the world was not worthy of them. Amen. It was the world that was the one that was, being, that was being pressed down because of this. The world is the one who wasn't worthy of having such men and women of faith in this world. Absolutely. You see, this faith drove them to give up everything. And so brothers and sisters, my prayer this morning again, I wanted to reiterate this because I think so often the sermon can be preached and the, and the, and the, and the application can be, now go and do likewise. That's not, the, that's not the point this morning. The point this morning is pursue God. Go after the Lord. And if suffering and struggling and difficulty and, and, and hard times come, brothers and sisters, be faithful Trust your God who is good and one who will care for you. You know why? Because it's worth it. That's right. It's worth it to the man who was sown in two. It was worth it to the man his, with his family living in caves. It was worth it to the one who is destitute and afflicted. It was worth it for us to live by faith. Because this world is not our own. It's one that we're passing through. We're pilgrims. And God's called us to an amazing faith. Let me give you an illustration that all of us are familiar with. The illustration was actually read for us this morning by Brandon. In Daniel chapter 3, we have this kind of life. You see, if I had just preached the first part of this sermon about the victories, you would have walked out of here thinking, wow, it's all about how God blesses and gives victory to everybody who is faithful, and the reason I'm suffering and struggling is because I don't have faith. Right? Some of you might walk away from here saying that. There are churches that, that need to take the word church out of their name that actually preach that. Right. Suffering and victories... Come to both of them. Come to God's faithful people, and we as God's people need to illustrate the faith that I believe Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego demonstrated. Daniel chapter three, as Brandon read for us this morning, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, "Oh Nebuchadnezzar, it's amazing." Nebuchadnezzar says right before this passage I'm reading, "And what God will deliver you from my hands?" Wrong statement to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Just, just wrong statement. As soon as I read that, for, I remember reading that for the first time and saying, Oh no, this is not going to be good for, for Nebuchadnezzar. Their response to that, that, that question was this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, Oh Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this manner. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand o king you see that confidence god is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand today but if not be it known to you o king that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up before us do you see the do you see the faith of these men They're saying, I'm going to stand for God. He can deliver me. There's no doubt in my mind that he is able to deliver. But if he doesn't, I'm going to be faithful. We're going to go in that fiery furnace as men who are faithful and will die as men who are faithful. Brothers and sisters, that's my desire for us, is that as this world and this culture, specifically the one that we're living in, we don't have to go overseas to find this. The one that we're living in and the years that are to come, brothers and sisters, I believe, is going to become more and more Pushing away from the faith. More and more hostile to our faith. And we need to be able to stand. And we need to be able to say that if our families have to be on the line. If our lives have to be on the line. If our comfort has to be on the line. If our health has to be on the line. Our faith is worth it. Our faith is worth it. Verses 39 and 40. Let's close. All of these. All of these. Verse 39. 39. Though commended through their faith. You see that phrase again? It was in verse, it was in verse 33, who through faith conquered kingdoms. Now it comes up again that phrase, through their faith, verse 39. It says they were commended or approved or had a good report. We've seen that word as well in chapter eleven. Turn back to chapter eleven, verse two. For by it, meaning this faith, the people of old received their, here's the word, commendation. Well, what's this commendation? Look down in verse 4 of chapter 11. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. So this is a commendation by God. Why? Because of their faith. Go down in verse 5 of chapter 11. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended, there's the word again, as having pleased God. And so now this pastor, as he's ending this section, he's saying all of these men in chapter 11 were commended or approved by God. How? Through their faith. And yet they had not received the promise. They had not been ushered into the kingdom of God. In other words, the Lord had not come and said, okay, now it's time. Brothers and sisters, you and I are in this place. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. But he hasn't come today, has he? We haven't haven't seen that promise realized. We know that Jesus Christ and him crucified has inaugurated the kingdom, and it has begun. The kingdom of God is here through Jesus Christ. But we haven't fully and completely received that promise of being taken into God's presence yet. It goes on, it says in verse 40, since God had provided something better for us. There's that word better again. That is Jesus Christ in the gospel message. That's what they provided for these people who were in the book of Hebrews. God had provided the gospel, Jesus Christ, for these people that are in the book of Hebrews. He hadn't shown them Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. They were trusting in the Messiah to come. They didn't know who Jesus was and how the thing was going to work. But in this book, in the book of Hebrews, they knew Jesus. They knew what he accomplished on the cross and how he had died for their sins to take away the wrath of God on their behalf so that they can go and be with Jesus, who's at the right hand of the Father right now. They knew that since God had provided something better for us, and that is Christ. Not just a temple and a tabernacle, but Jesus Christ, the way we can have access to God. That apart from us, that means the people of the New Testament, they should not be made perfect. In other words, they would constantly be longing for the Messiah. They would be constantly, these Old Testament saints, they didn't have it as good as we do. The Old Testament saints were trusting in God's promises, but they didn't know about Jesus. They didn't know about the cross. They didn't know about the gospel. They didn't have their Bibles. We sometimes think, you know, if God parted the Red Sea for me like he did Moses, man, I would, I would be there. I, I, I would believe everything there is. But what this passage is saying is that God has given us his Bible. He's given us the gospel. He's given us Jesus Christ. He's risen again from the dead. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. We have it better to the point that they could not be perfected until the gospel came along. They could not be made right with God and come into his presence until Christ's death, burial, and resurrection ascending at the right hand of the Father. We have it better. So this morning, brothers and sisters, during this very difficult life that we may live, in the struggles and the difficulties that will come into our lives and the lives of loved ones, Is God able to deliver us? Absolutely. Will He every single time? Maybe not. But what are we going to do today? Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So it's all about our faith, isn't it? Every scenario, every circumstance, every situation in our life, is about whether we're going to trust God or not and believe that what He has for us in heaven, our ability to go and be with Him in heaven, is far more valuable than anything we can possess here on earth. Let's ask the Lord to grant us that kind of faith. Let us pray.